Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about the coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest cozy mystery releases. We'll be diving into the latest episode after these quick messages. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you want to help support the podcast, be sure to join our Patreon. We have different tiers to choose from to get weekly exclusive episodes, membership in our book club, and podcast merch. You can even choose the coziest supporter tier and receive a monthly Get Cozy book box, which includes one paperback copy of your choice from a selection of books by Get Cozy podcast guest authors. To join, visit patreon.com slash getcozypodcast. You can also sign up for our newsletter to have a list of the week's coziest mystery deals delivered right to your inbox every Monday. We do get a commission for all books bought through our links, so by buying books, you're supporting the podcast. Sign up on our website, getcozypod.com, and while you're there, be sure to check out our podcast merch. Finally, if you'd like to donate to the show on a one-time or recurring basis, you can do that via Venmo at getcozypod. Thanks so much for your support. You listeners are the heart of the show, and I couldn't do any of it without you. Hello, hello, my cozy friends. Welcome back to Get Cozy Podcast. I don't know how the weather is where you all live right now, but it is a crisp 100 degrees here in Utah. So I am very excited for today's episode where we'll be chatting about some refreshing moonshine with the side of murder, of course. So grab yourself a glass of your favorite hooch because today we have the author of the Southern Homebrew Mysteries with us. Diane Kelly is an award-winning author of romance and romantic mysteries featuring feisty heroines, quirky sidekicks, and sexy leading men with humor that leaves readers laughing out loud. So welcome to the show, Diane. Thanks so much for having me. Um, we're, we're having similar weather here in North Carolina. It basically feels like a sauna when you're I outside. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm actually walking my dogs or kind of swimming through the neighborhood. <laughs> Yeah. Very, uh, very moist. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely the difference with uh, heat out there versus heat here in Utah, where we live in a desert. So it's just absolutely dry. It's just like you're baking in an oven all day. No moisture. Well, actually, be out your way in the beginning of September. We had planned to go to Yellowstone, a family vacation, and it got canceled. We were in some of the cabins that got flooded. So oh, no. we are finally going to Zion. That has been on our son's. Um, he's been begging us for years to go. And it's been on our bucket list for a long time because uh-huh. we finally have you know the, the space in our schedule to do it. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, All the good. pictures look beautiful. Yeah, Zion is amazing. Yellowstone is amazing. We have just great national parks out here. So if you go to Zion, make sure you also go to Bryce because they're right by okay. each other. And it is amazing. Like you just, you can't miss it. So some, some of the hikes sounded kind of scary. I think we'll probably stick to the 
pretty easy stuff. Yeah, that's what we do too. We stick to the easy stuff and everything's so incredible that you don't have to go on any of the really crazy ones to see all of the cool stuff. So good to know. Yeah. All right. Well, the proof is in the poison is book two in the Southern Homebrew Mystery Series. So do you want to kick off the conversation by telling our listeners what this series is about and then maybe give us some hints about what Hattie's getting up to in book two? Sure. So uh, the series is based around a young woman who uh, decided to take her family's moonshine recipe, the same recipe that landed her great grandfather in jail during prohibition. And she's going to resurrect it and start selling it commercially. And uh, in book one, she launches her business. And of course, someone ends up dead on her doorstep of her shop. And that has to get all sorted out. Um, in book two, she's trying to expand her business. And there's a model train convention happening in town. So she thinks, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. People are here from out of town. They can spread the word about my moonshine. So she's she's a really good marketer. So she goes down there and gives everybody coupons to come to her shop and sets up a mixer at the um, hotel where all the conventioneers are staying and, and you know really markets her wares to these people. She figures if they're into model trains, they're people that like nostalgia and moonshine is kind of a nostalgic thing. So she figures they're the perfect crowd. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That is just like brilliant marketing. And <laughs> I actually have a, a, a degree in accounting, but I had to take marketing as part of that. So I sometimes I actually draw on those things. You wouldn't uh -huh. think that as, as a creative writer person that I would be drawing on business things, but they do come in handy sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, that definitely makes sense um, that you would use all of that knowledge in your fiction as well. And I have to say that this is one of my favorite new series that I started in 2021. And I so enjoyed reading book two. And if you are a cozy reader like me who enjoys a strong romantic subplot, then this is definitely a series to pick up. Yeah, I always like adding some romance in. I, I feel like it rounds out the character. It rounds out the story. And just structurally, it's kind of nice to have something to, um, you know, kind of lessen the tension and kind of relieve some of that pressure every once in a while. Or just the opposite, too. It can, it can increase the suspense and tension because all of a sudden there's higher stakes, you know, if somebody's life is in trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, so, it, so adding that romantic subplot, you know, really helps the story, you know, flesh out, I think. I agree. It just makes uh, it makes the story feel so well rounded. And I love that we get that in cozy mysteries where you don't always in some of the other mystery thriller genres. Right. Yeah. So, some are more purist. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's fine, too. It's just different tastes. Right? Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've read some really fun, cozy books that do center around beer or wine, but this is the first series I've read about moonshine. So what inspired you to choose that cozy career for Hattie? So it was kind of a, a, a weird fluke. We moved to Nashville in 2014 after my husband lost his job in Texas. They closed down um, his division of the company. And uh, we went to a bar called Tootsie's on what they call Sobro, which is South Broadway, and sat down. And you know how they have those little um, you know paper things at the table, those little cardboard things advertising different liquors and stuff. And I saw one for apple pie moonshine. And I thought, 
moonshine. How can they be serving moonshine here? I thought moonshine, you know, by definition was homemade. And so I was uh-huh. extremely curious. So I said, I've got to get some of this stuff. So they brought us a couple shots and, uh, you know, real ice cold apple pie moonshine. Oh my gosh, it was so good. So, <laughs> so I kind of started looking more into this stuff. And then later I went to Gatlinburg where the old smoky um, distillery is. And they were the first moonshine makers, to my knowledge, in the United States. They launched this whole new thing. Um, but they, uh, had multiple flavors and they would let you do tastings and they, they jokingly called the little cups that they served them in the little shot glasses. They called them redneck communion cups. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd, and so I'd sampled all the flavors there. And I just thought this is really interesting because I kind of like nostalgia, kind of like I was talking about the um, model train enthusiasts, you know, the, the throwbacks to, you know, uh, earlier times. I'm always kind of curious about that. So I thought, well, this is interesting. And I thought if, if it's interesting to me, it'll be interesting to other people. It's kind of something new. It's, it's a twist on, um, the wine and beer cozies that have been done, you know, something new. So I figured I'd give it a shot. (laughs) For sure. That is so interesting. And, you know, one of my favorite things about reading cozies is getting to learn so much about, you know, like fun, quirky career paths. And this one was just so unique. And I really enjoyed reading about Hattie and her moonshine shop. And I love that you were able to draw inspiration from an experience that you had in real life. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it's always fun to try these things out, you know, and, and get to put them in a book. Uh huh. It um, means that drinking my moonshine is tax deductible. <laughs> exactly. That's always a good thing. <laughs> exactly. I, I do that for the, the podcast sometimes when we have to do research for, you know, the books or the recipes that we're going to be talking about on the show. Right. It's a business expense. <laughs> exactly. So Hattie and her granddaddy both share some fun etymology and history about moonshine in the series. And I was wondering if you could tell us some interesting facts you've learned about moonshine in all of your research. Sure. So there, there was a lot of things that I found interesting. The first thing was the definition of moonshine, because people always kind of get a little confused. And I was too, when I first saw that, um, you know, commercial moonshine was available because that seemed to me like an oxymoron that you could have, you could buy moonshine at a liquor store. But the legal definition, as I've learned during my research um, of moonshine, um, basically is any kind of alcohol that's fermented. So it's a very broad term. um, Whereas with some terms like Tennessee whiskey, there's, it's very strict rules. It has to be made in Tennessee. It has to be filtered through a certain type of charcoal, that kind of thing. But moonshine, basically, as long as you ferment something, you can call it moonshine. So um, that was something I learned, but um, it doesn't, by definition, you know, have to be made at home. It can be made commercially. So that was interesting. And then um, I was interested in uh, how it spawned NASCAR. That was news to me that the early moonshine runners, you know, were trying to get away from law enforcement. So they would soup up their cars. They would put um, special things on the bottom so that brush couldn't get into the engines um, and all kinds of things to make them run faster. They would take out seats to make them lighter, anything they could do to get away from law enforcement. They learned how to drive on windy mountain roads in the dark. And from that, they, they realized, Hey, this is kind of fun. Even though they were, you know, usually running from police, they liked racing the car. So they started racing each other. The moonshiners did. And then here comes NASCAR out of that. So I thought that was really kind of funny that this illegal activity spawned something that people love now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was interesting. And another thing that kind of maybe hits a little closer to home, of course, you know, uh, my married name, Kelly is Irish, but my maiden name was O'Brien, which is also Irish. 
And my sister did a bunch of ancestry um, research on our family. And I found out that our ancestors had come through this area of North Carolina years ago, Virginia, North Carolina. And it was Scotch and Irish immigrants who brought whiskey making to this area and started, you know, making it themselves. And then eventually during prohibition that led to the, you know, the moon shining and hiding the stills in the woods and all that. So it kind of runs in my blood, kind of like it does with Hattie's. Um, so that was another interesting thing that I learned. And um, yeah, so uh, I was also interested, one other thing that um, just a legal matter that I, I thought was kind of interesting was that the people who were convicted during prohibition of illegally producing or selling moonshine were not freed when prohibition ended. Uh, you know, that basically oh. because it was illegal when they did it, they uh -huh. still had to stay in jail. And I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, someone could have been convicted and sentenced and then what they did wasn't even illegal anymore and they're still in, in jail. Of course, right. I think that, that's probably true now with some of the drug um, mm -hmm. uh, things like with marijuana now being legalized. It's probably a similar thing, but it's just something I hadn't really ever thought about until I was doing the research for the books. Yeah. Wow. That is also fascinating. And that's really interesting that you have like kind of a personal connection to Moonshine, just like Hattie does. So you kind of like mirror your own character. That's so unique. Yep, the, the Irish whiskey heritage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. And I also love that this series is set in the Smoky Mountains in Chattanooga. And you do a lovely job of immersing us in the setting with the language and the descriptions. So what inspired you to choose Chattanooga as a setting? So when we lived in Nashville, you know, we... Um, explored Tennessee extensively. We loved to get out and do stuff and we were empty nesters. So we finally kind of had a little bit more time and flexibility to, to do things. We went to Gatlinburg, which is up in the um, Smoky Mountains, love that. And then one time when our kids were home, they were in college at the time, when they were home on um, Christmas break, I said, well, let's go to Chattanooga and check it out. You know, I've, I've just heard it's a nice place. And I didn't know a whole lot about it. And we went there and we uh, stayed in the Chattanooga Choo Choo Hotel, which has converted passenger cars that have been made into hotel rooms. And oh, that was cool. And it was just one of these cities where it was so much more than I had expected. You know, I thought it would be beautiful because a lot of Tennessee is beautiful, but it was just, you know, it had all this natural beauty. The Tennessee River flows through it, and that's a big, wide, beautiful river. Um, it's got mountains around it. It's very lush. The people were friendly. It had neat things to do. It was it was kind of had an artsy vibe. Um, but I especially love the natural stuff like Rock City is beautiful. It's got um, a waterfall inside the mountain called Ruby Falls. And that was just intriguing to me. I'd never seen a waterfall actually inside like a cave. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was cool. There's a lot of Civil War history there. There was a big battle of... Um, Lookout Mountain there. They have um, what they call the Incline Railroad, which is a car very similar to the Cog Railroad that goes up Pikes Peak, but it's a very um, steep uh, train car that goes up the mountain and takes you to the top. So that's that's cool too. So it just had such a great variety of, of um, things there in the history. It's just a very, you know, kind of rich, well-rounded city. And I just, I fell in love with it. I, I would mind living there one day. I, it's one of my favorite places. Wow, that sounds so neat. You're uh, convincing me that I need to go <laughs> now. I think it's it's definitely kind of one of those um, undiscovered gems 
that people, you know, people have heard of Chattanooga, you know, from the song Chattanooga Choo Choo and things like that. But right. I, I don't think it gets the attention it really deserves, especially I think Nashville, you know, being with all the country music and all that going on, it kind of detracts from it. But Chattanooga is it's beautiful. I would recommend anyone who wants to go on a, on a fun vacation. That's a great spot. Oh my gosh, I love that. And you know, you did such a great job of just really bringing Chattanooga to life in the book. And I loved the whole vibe. I definitely felt like I was immersed in the city while I was reading. And for me personally, the setting and community are probably like the most important elements for a cozy series, just because those are the things that really keep me wanting to continue on and read more books, because it's just like the the specific world of a cozy mystery series that I want to escape into. And this is definitely a world that I want to spend a lot more time in. It's it's the same, you know, for, for us authors too, because when we're writing our books, it's like, we're there, you know, we're, we're, we feel like we're in this world and it needs to be a world we want to be in. And so I think that's why I write about a lot of the cities I really love because, you know, it's kind of like getting to take a virtual vacation there when I can't be there all the time. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's so cool, especially where you have like such fond memories of getting to actually go there yourself with your family. Yeah, yeah, we had a great time. And they we saw um, at the Chattanooga Choo Choo uh, Motel, they had a model train display there. And I, I just thought that was really, really cute. I loved I love just like looking at the little things in there. And- uh-huh. How cool. Well, as I mentioned earlier, one of my other favorite things about cozies is that we do get to vicariously explore different hobbies and areas of interest. And in The Proof is in the Poison, we do get to learn a lot about model railroads, kind of like you're talking about now. So what was it about the the model railroading that interested you and made you want to incorporate it into the series? Well, I, um, since Chattanooga is kind of known for trains, you know, with that Chattanooga Choo Choo song, and it uh-huh. used to be a huge hub uh, for the South and, and really for the country um, before the you know railroads extended way West. It was a huge hub. So I just felt like that sort of went hand in hand with the city. It was part of the city's history and personality. And I, so I started looking into model railroads. And of course I'd seen the one when we stayed at the um, uh, Chattanooga Choo Choo Motel. And I found out that's where the National Model Railroad Association is based. So that was that was interesting. And from there, I started researching, um, you know, all the rules about how model railroads are judged and and that type of thing. And I learned so much uh, researching that. But I just felt like it really went hand in hand really well with the setting. And I've always just loved looking at, at those displays. You know, there's always... Um, interesting little things they'll sneak in there that, you know, when you first look at it, you just, you know, you know, mostly watch the train go by, but then if you start really looking at things, like I remember one had a bank robbery going on and, and you can see the bank robbers running out with the money bags. And, oh, wow. um, sometimes they'll have, you know, a car broken down on a road and people standing beside it or so, just something, you know, interesting or, you know, um, little, little cute little details that, um, you know, kind of bring the display to life and make it feel like it's really kind of a slice of life. And, you know, yeah, it'd be so cool to see those. And I loved the way that you um, described all of the different little model railroads in the book. Um, There was one with monsters in particular that I thought was so cute and so fun. Well, I did find out that they they actually have a humor category. They call it the thumbs category. So I thought, okay, what's something funny that that we could do? 
And since moving to North Carolina, uh, my husband and I have gone to um, the Mothman Museum in West Virginia. Oh, wow. When I was a kid, I went to a slumber party and some girl told a story about the Mothman mm-hmm. and it scared me to death. So I thought I need to confront my demons, literally. <laughs> so we went up to West Virginia. We actually went up there to see the pumpkin house, which I'd seen pictures of all over Facebook, uh, this house that has like 3000 pumpkins at it. But it oh, turned out wow. really close to there was the Mothman Museum. So we went to that too. So um, and then there's, there's just cryptids everywhere. I mean, it seems like every state has some kind of interesting legend about, you know, Bigfoot type character or in um, Colorado, we were there recently, they have something called the slide rock bolter. That's kind of like a whale that comes out of the rock, you know? So I just think it's so interesting how these things evolve. So, so yeah. I thought that would be a fun, fun kind of humorous thing to do for, um, a model train display. That is so neat. I um, uh, fancy myself an amateur pumpkin <laughs> farmer. So oh, I, yeah, I am going to Google this pumpkin house immediately. <laughs> I think yeah, I need to Huntington, go see it. Huntington, West Virginia. Yeah, it was amazing. They had, oh my gosh, I've, I've never seen so many pumpkins. And West Virginia is so beautiful. So the minute I realized that the house was there, I was like, okay, we're, we're going to this. Just a random, you know, kind of weekend trip. Because um, I've been looking for an excuse to go to West Virginia. I had driven through it and it was, it's just one of the most beautiful places on earth. It really is almost heaven. Yeah. <laughs> said, it's a gorgeous place. That sounds so cool. I always um, learn so much when I'm doing these podcasts, uh, but I didn't expect to get like a full travel list <laughs> from this one, but now I have one and I'm excited. <laughs> Well, it is so interesting talking to people from different parts of the country because, you know, you don't even realize what's there until Mm -hmm. someone mentions something, you know, like in North Carolina, you know, I'm still kind of learning the history. I've been here about four years, but I didn't realize they had a huge um, issue in Wilmington years ago, kind of like the Tulsa massacre Uh where they had to impose martial law because there was a huge racial um, issue and, and people were doing horrible things to the black business people. And, and, you know, I, don't remember right. ever learning about that in history uh, class. So, you know, so it's interesting, you know, when talking to people from a place and finding out what's there and mm-hmm. uh, learning these little, little bits of history or hidden gyms to go visit that sometimes aren't the most popular tourist attractions, but they're neat little places. Right. And such important things for us to learn about. So you do, speaking of learning things, you do also include a lot of railroad history into the novel, which I did find fascinating. And I actually live really near the location of the Golden Spike. uh, And we went on many a field trip there during elementary school. So what is a piece of railroad history that you think our listeners would be interested to know? Well, I thought it was super interesting that, um, we didn't have a standard time system in the United States prior to the railroads coming along. You know, people kind of mm-hmm. just decided, okay, it's five o'clock here, you know, and it might be, you know, five o'clock in Pennsylvania and five o'clock, you know, out in Utah where you are. But right. uh, they, they finally realized with railroads, like, oh, we need to have a standard timetable so that when we say the train's arriving, you know, leaving here at three and arriving there at five, we everybody kind of has the same idea of when five o'clock and when three o'clock is. So that just intrigued me to death because I would have thought the time system would have been standardized so much earlier than that. Like, right. I just was shocked that that, that happened so late and that the tracks were not standardized because the initial um, railroads, so many of them were private 
And they all just kind of built the tracks of whatever size they wanted. So when they tried to amalgamate these systems, you know, the tracks and trains were not of a standard size. So that was kind of interesting um, how that, you know, kind of evolved into having to be read some of it redone so that they would all work together. But one thing I've learned actually since writing the book is that um, there's often um, apple trees at train stops. And I learned this um, going out in the Blue Ridge Mountains. There's an orchard out there called the Orchard at Alta Pass. And there used to be a train that would go through there and they had apple trees there to feed the people as they got off the train, people could pick an apple and, and um, eat them. So if you see just random apple trees in the middle of nowhere, it was either somebody's homestead or it could have been an old train, train track stop. Wow. That is also interesting. And yeah, I definitely would have thought that the time system that we use currently would have been implemented so much earlier than that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I guess everybody, you know, without without internet and phones and all that, right. people lived so much more locally. So it, it just wasn't as much of an issue. And it's, it's just hard to imagine a world where time is not an issue because we are constantly watching the clock. Oh, now. right. You know, and you, you fly on an airline and you're like figuring out how much time it takes and mm -hmm. you know, land and, and what time zone is that in? You know, it's, it's just such a part of our life now that it's hard to imagine just kind of going about your day. <laughs> and it sounds uh, wonderful to live life not completely based off of the, the time constantly because we are so tied to our technology and our devices and we live our lives based off of time anymore, which is a little bit stressful, honestly. It is. It feels like we always have this ticking clock. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, just our society, we base our, our, our value and stuff on productivity. And if we haven't gotten everything done in our to-do list, you know, um, we feel like we haven't done what we should have done for the day. And I, I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. Sometimes I think we need to ignore the clocks. Mm -hmm. And a friend just come visit from um, California and she was doing a month long trip with her husband and she didn't bring her computer. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I can't be without my computer for one day. Right? I can't imagine that she went for a whole month. But I was kind of kind of like you're saying, I was almost felt jealous of her. Like, wow, I, I would love to be they're semi-retired, you know. Mm -hmm. like, I would love to be in that situation where I could actually leave my devices behind for a little right. bit. Except that I would miss writing. I would have to be writing in my head, even if I couldn't be doing it on my computer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to just be like untethered and not um, having to constantly check what time it is and account for what you're doing and focusing on productivity, like, oh my goodness, that would be so nice. So it's interesting to learn we kind of have the railroads to blame <laughs> for that. Yeah. Those darn railroads. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I do, I really just love learning about real world things in fiction. I think that's just like such a fun way to learn. And you know, also through having conversations with authors and I definitely walked away from this book feeling like I learned so much more about our country's history. So I just think that was really neat. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. I, you know, I had fun looking into all that too. And, and it's nice too, to feel like um, I can bring, you know, something to the table. Cause I always like when I read a book to have some takeaway value, even if it's just, you know, something, you know, something like that, you know, that I didn't necessarily go to the book for, but it's like, Oh, I feel a little smarter now that I've read this uh -huh. book. <laughs> yeah. So I like to give that to the reader. Exactly. I love that. So we do have to talk about Hattie's cozy companion, Smokey, who is her cat in the series. And he's just got so much personality and character. And I'm guessing based on your author photo that you are a big cat lover yourself. So why do you think cats make such great cozy companions? I, I think 
that they're, they're such good, cozy companions because they, they are the epitome of curiosity. Mm. And that's exactly how, you know, these um, amateur sleuths are. They're curious about things. They notice things. They want to know, you know, cats can't stay out of a box. They can't, if a closet door opens, they've got to go in that closet and check it out. And that's a lot how these sleuths are, you know, Hattie sees something and she files it away for later. She's going to go snooping, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. it's almost like a metaphor having cats in these books um, because they are sort of a metaphor for, uh, for curiosity. So I think it's, it's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. I'd never thought about cats as a metaphor for sleuths before, but you're so right. They do just go hand in hand. That's perfect. Yeah, and you just hope that, you know, curiosity killed the cat. We hope that uh-huh. curiosity doesn't kill our, our <laughs> kill sleuths. Kill our sleuths, yeah. <laughs> yep, we've got to have that happy ending in a cozy always. Yep. Yeah. So from Hattie to Marlin to Kiki to Granddaddy, you have just created a very lovable cast of characters in this series. So which one is your favorite to write and why? You know, I'd have to say it's a tie between Granddad and Kiki, to be honest. As much as I love Hattie, she she's and she does have a lot of personality. She's kind of the straight person. You know, she's trying to get get the job done and all that. But Kiki is just so bold to just kind of put stuff out there and mm-hmm. could come off as a little too blunt and brusque, except she also has a very loving side and is, and is always very supportive and encouraging and is there for her friends. So, but I like, um, you know, I grew up in the eighties, so I like that she's kind of got this punk rock look and, and she's very bold and that she's artistic and creative. That was a, she's a fun character to write because of all that. And because she doesn't hold back in what she says and granddad, granddaddy is just, he's based on my own granddad. My oh, own granddad okay. could be very surly and very, um, you know, kind of abrasive, but at the same time, he loved his family. He was just kind of an old fashioned guy and kind of just, you know, said what he thought to, and mm-hmm. could be kind of irascible, just like granddaddy in this book. So, um, you know, I find him fun to write because it makes me think of my granddad as, as I'm writing that. And because he just feels so real to me, because I've lived with someone like that right. you know, in my life. So, um, and he's, you know, even though, um, you know, he can be a bit ornery, you know, he also has his, his good side and he's, he wants to be there for Hattie. He wants to help her in her shop. He wants to be part of that. And he's just tenacious, you know, he's, he's right around 90 and no, not stopping anytime mm-hmm. soon. And I admire that about him. Oh, absolutely. I adored both of those characters. I do feel like I identify the most with Hattie, um, which is great since she's the main character in your series. But I feel like Kiki is the the type of person that I aspire to be, but never will be able to actually be. You know what I mean? I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But she's so great. And I love, love to read about her. It's always fun when she's on the page. And you never know what she's going to be wearing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's always fun. I get to like think in my head, okay, how would I dress her up? What was what my punk rocker wearing today? <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. It's really fun to get to see her like distinct style and fashion on the pages of the novel. I liked all those um haircuts from the 80s where mm-hmm. people had kind of like shaved heads and the, the guys that had the rat tails and you know combat yeah. boots with lace kind of the contrast to that yeah exactly and all of that is uh you know kind of like really in fashion again right now especially you know thank you to stranger things <laughs> so yeah. yeah definitely all the the nostalgia and all of that aesthetic is very much coming back and i love it yeah me, me too 
So you have so many cozy mystery novels out. Uh, just looking at the list of them on, on Goodreads is just really impressive. And I'm sure that they all require just a tremendous amount of work. So I'm wondering if you can share with us what a day in your writing life looks like. Okay, so typically when I get up in the morning, you know, I want to make sure there's not any fires I need to put out. So I'll get on my email and, and check through that, you know, until I, you know, get all that dealt with. Um, and make sure that there's not anything that needs immediate attention because sometimes things can be time sensitive. You know, mm -hmm. we're on we're all on deadlines, and sometimes there's you know quick turnaround needed at the publishers. And then once I've kind of gotten all that out of the way, I can then settle my mind. Um, usually, I'll have you know that that'll take up most of my morning, and I'll also do like Facebook posts and kind of the business side of writing in the morning. You know, maybe some maybe a post on Instagram. Um, you know. Uh, respond to messages that I've gotten on Facebook, that kind of thing. Then I have an early lunch. And then the afternoon is when I really buckle down and write um, generally. And I love to be outside if I can. So actually as hot as it is right now, it's just killing me because it's too hot to be outside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but then I sit in my office right by a window because I'm just a very outdoorsy person. If I can be outside, I'm outside. So if the weather's good, I'm out on my deck. My dogs are there with me. If the weather's like it is now, then I'm in what I call my cat room, which is also my office. And my cats hang out in here with me. Um, and I, I try to really, really focus and not get distracted by, um, you know, other things during that time period. I like absolute silence when I work. So mm -hmm. I will double up. I'll wear the little foamy earplugs plus noise canceling headphones, because that really helps me just get into the zone. Um, otherwise, you know, I'm distracted, you know, the cat might be batting a ball around or something and that's going to distract me. So I, I like that because it really gets me into the zone. Right. And then I'll write, um, you know, for three or four hours straight. And then usually late afternoon around four, I'll do a, a second check of emails just to make sure nothing else, you know, critical has written, has come in that I need to handle before kind of end of day. But I'll continue to write usually until my husband gets home from work and he works kind of late. So he doesn't usually get home until maybe 645 or seven. Uh, maybe a little bit before that, I might go make dinner, but sometimes I just wait till he gets home. So, so kind of my bulk of work happens in the afternoon. And I used to think that mornings were my better um, time for writing because I was more energetic. But then I've, I, over time, I realized I'm almost too energetic in the morning. I'm mm -hmm. thinking of too many things. I need to wait for my mind to kind of calm down. <laughs> so, so my process has changed over the years that way. I've kind of flip-flopped my day, you know, where I write in the afternoon now as opposed to the morning and do the business stuff in the morning. Okay, fascinating. So it's really um, interesting to me to think about the amount of time that uh, traditionally published authors now have to spend with marketing their own books, which I think a lot of readers don't really realize how much effort and time you all have to put into that yourselves now. That's true because actually the publishers market to booksellers. Mm -hmm. So their focus isn't, so, you know, they do a few things, you know, to market directly to readers. Like they have newsletters that readers can sign up for and stuff, but really their focus is trying to get books into bookstores and, you know, and get Amazon to place a big order. So there that's, it's a whole different focus. Mm -hmm. So when it's direct reader contact, that's pretty much all up to the author. That's why we all have newsletters and Facebook pages and Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts and trying to find ways to connect and spread the word. And the nice thing is every author I've ever met pretty much, you know, there, there's a few exceptions, I guess I should say, <laughs> but almost every author is, 
it's just very nice. And we're all willing to help each other. We all realize that we're not in direct competition because people can read many, many books in a year, mm-hmm. yet we cannot produce enough books to fulfill all that need. So we'll help each other out. We'll put each other's books as a recommendation in our newsletters. We're happy to share things on Facebook. We do joint promotions and giveaways. And that's kind of fun too, because this is a very solitary profession, but being able to do things like that together makes us feel like we have work colleagues. You know. Yeah. And I love that outlook of being able to uh, lift each other up as you also promote your own work. That's a really cool community outlook to have, which is very fitting for cozy mystery novels. Yeah. And, and it's great too, because, you know, um, you know, it, it, we think of writers as being introverts generally, and a lot of writers would probably say they are, but when you get, you get a bunch of writers together and that's not how it is. You know? <laughs> right. Everybody's so excited about their work and talking and, and sharing stuff. So it's, it's always, it's, it's always a very fun environment and, and just the creativity. It's just, you know, just oozes off everybody. And it's just, it's very um, fun and energizing to be with, you know, a group of people who, you know, our conversations can get really weird. (laughs) (laughs) I bet, especially when you write mystery novels with murder and all of that. Well, how did you kill that guy? You know, we're at a restaurant, you know, (laughs) sit at a table. How how are you going to kill him again? And then people at the other table are looking over at us like, what are these women talking about? Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's like that um, that novel Finley Donovan, um, where the the writer is overheard talking about the plot of her book in in a restaurant, and so somebody oh. thinks she's a, a hit woman and hires her. <laughs> I haven't read that yet. I've seen it all over the uh-huh. over the place, so that's funny. Yeah, that's, that's on my list of, of books I need to get because it looks like it's doing really well and the people are enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. So be careful where you have those conversations. You never know <laughs> where that could take you next. Yeah. <laughs> So I absolutely love that you sh- that you do share some moonshine recipes in your novels, and I thought that was so cute and fun. So we actually made um, the brass collar and the derailment last weekend and just had such a great time. So what's your process for creating these recipes like? Well, I'm so glad you did that, that you enjoyed them. Um, you know, I, I sit down and I kind of think, okay, what are some things that go along with the theme of this book? So when I was researching just railroads and model railroads. That's when I found out, you know, these terms, um, you know, the clown car is what they call the caboose. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. I just always thought it was called a caboose um, or you know, I didn't realize it had a nickname. So I thought, okay, well, what, you know, what goes hand in hand with the clown? I'm thinking red nose, you know, something, okay, well, maybe I should make a cherry flavor that I thought a cherry looks like a clown's red nose. Let's put a cherry in the string. So yeah. <laughs> I kind of just try to think of things that sort of go along you know, with, with the theme and, and do that. But I have umpteen million uh, jars of moonshine down in my liquor cabinet. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a, I have a lot to play with. And I mean, it's amazing how many different flavors there are now. There, there's even a banana pudding flavor I saw the other day. Interesting. So, yeah. I'm kind of going, that could be either really good or really gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> You'll have to let us know how that one goes. <laughs> But my favorite is that I think is the, well, it was the blackberry, but the apple pie is right behind because that was uh-huh. the one who introduced me to it. 
That one does sound really, really good. And like I mentioned, we just had such a great time recreating your recipe. Um, we did have to modify the derailment a bit because our alcohol options in Utah are, well, we'll just say the, the pickings are a little slim here and we couldn't find blackberry. So we had to do strawberry, but it was still so good. And with the peppermint, it was just like a perfect summer drink. So I highly recommend all of our listeners try making these recipes. Of course, if you are, you know, of legal drinking age. Yeah, and, and um, that is one thing to point out that I guess I guess Utah is a little bit more strict on that. Available at liquor stores, you know, people because people will ask me all the time, well, where can I get moonshine? And there's there's actually a section at liquor stores. You know, most people aren't used to going in and looking for that, so they might walk right past it. But um, most stores do have it. I just stopped at one. I was back in Texas, and they had a huge selection of. Um, in fact, they had two or three different brands of the apple pine moonshine, oh, which neat. usually you know, they might just have have one, but they had. They had Sugarlands, they had Old Smoky, they had Firefly, they had all kinds of um, moonshine in there. That's so cool. We'll have to look for that while we're traveling because um, our liquor stores here only had like one brand in three different <laughs> flavors. We didn't, we don't have much uh, in, as in, as far as options go here. We're, I've, I've, we're a little funny with alcohol laws. I've ordered some before too from a place online called Uptown Spirits. I don't know that they deliver everywhere though. I think there's, you know, there's some states have more restrictions on uh, liquor being brought into their state. So Utah might yep. have restrictions on that. But, yes, uh, we do. We, uh, my family, we went into uh, Italy to Tuscany, did like a wine tour and um, we wanted to order some to be shipped back to Utah. And uh, even these people in Italy, Italy were like, there's one place we can't ship wine to, and it's Utah. <laughs> You're oh, like, no. oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You need a P.O. box right over the border uh -huh. in Idaho or somewhere. Yeah, yep. Or Idaho's no. fine. Wyoming's fine, but just not Utah. <laughs> well, it was interesting to me when we moved to North Carolina because I kept seeing ABC liquor stores everywhere. And I oh, huh? ABC, ABC, and I thought, wow, they really have a monopoly on, on liquor here. And then I learned that. Yes, they do. It's it's government run liquor stores that you cannot have a private liquor store in North Carolina. And that was shocking to me because everywhere else I've lived, they were privately run. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So it is weird how liquor, you know, and I think that that came out of the moonshining, too, that they were trying to control who was selling liquor. Right. So it's funny that, you know, and this that's a holdover from the Prohibition Day or, pre, you know, uh, yeah, right around that time. So that's 100 years ago now. And right. it still hasn't changed that. And it's had like such a uh, large rippling effects for, mm -hmm. for hundreds of years. That's so interesting. So I am so excited to read more books in this series and also to start picking up your other books now as well. So can you tell us anything about what you're working on now? So I um, just got my first round of uh, revisions back on Fiddling with Fate. So I'll be making revisions on that. And one thing my editor asked for is more granddaddy. <laughs> oh, yes. I love that. He did have a little, little bit less of a role in, in this book. You know, I was trying to figure out, you know, whether he could logically go to some of these things, but I, I'm going to bring him along for the, for the fun. So she, she was right about that. It needed more granddaddy. <laughs> yes, definitely um, more so, granddaddy. Yeah. So working on that, I just turned in my first draft of Primer and Punishment, which is book number five in my house flipper series. Okay. And in that book, they are flipping a houseboat. So uh, that was really fun to write. I had to learn a whole lot about houseboats and how they operate and, you know, how do they get their electricity and how what fun. kind of paint do you use on, on that. And um, yeah, so it's, and the pontoons, you know, how do they float and what kind of engines do they have? So a lot, a lot more random knowledge. <laughs> 
Perfect. Yeah, you just you keep yourself very, very busy, which is great news for us readers because we'll have plenty of material to get to, which is exciting. And I can't wait to read more of Hattie's adventures and see what her and Smokey and Marlin get up to next. Yeah, it's, it'll it'll be a fun one. I tend to um, gravitate sometimes toward songwriting and songwriters. Mm -hmm. I have a really good friend who is into that and she's dragged me along to songwriters festivals and it's so much fun. So I've had songwriters in my other books, but this, this, uh, fiddling with fate, there's going to be a bluegrass band in there and oh, the, fun. the main singer in the bluegrass band. Okay. Yeah. I love that. That sounds so great. And, uh, just like it would be like a, such a vibe, I guess we would say as millennials, um, with the bluegrass band. So so I'm excited to pick that up. Yeah, it'll come out next June. Okay, so definitely adding that to the list. Great. And then we definitely have to talk about Marlin because this series does have a really strong romantic subplot, like we mentioned. And I adore the relationship between Hattie and Marlin. And I know our listeners do love some cozy book recommendations. So I was wondering if you could share a cozy mystery recommendation that you think also has a great romance in it. Well, I always liked, um, I don't know if you technically call them cozies, but the Janet Ivanovich books with, mm -hmm. with Joe Morelli. I know a lot of people kind of got tired of the Joe and Ranger, you know, the love triangle. But to me, it's clear she and Joe belong together. And, and I liked that they were very, that they had a relationship, but were very independent too. like uh, that kind of, I liked that kind of relationship that he was there to support her and take care of her, but didn't but let her be herself. Mm -hmm. So I always like that. But um, another one that I read recently was Elizabeth Penny's Chapter and Curse. Oh, yeah. And it has um, the main character um, goes to England to open a bookstore. And it's a, the, like the oldest bookstore in Cambridge. And she's going to run it. And she has a love interest in that one. And, and I like that, too. Um, it went well along with the theme of the book and, um, you know, being in England and kind of, uh, you know, finding your prince, you know, and, and so I enjoyed um, that one, too. But I also have um, and, and, and uh, you know, just to be be uh, forward here or, or to be uh, what am I trying to say to <laughs> Melissa is a good friend of mine. So what am uh -huh. I trying to say? I love her books. Melissa Bourbon. She has. Um, several series, but um, in her bread shop series, she's got this really nice relationship between Ivy Culpepper, the main character, and Miguel, um, her love interest. And it's just this, this, you know, it's not that kind of hit you over the head romance and, um, you know, uh, they're, they're already comfortable with each other, you know, and, and it's a mature romance. Ivy's is divorced. And, and I like that because I like that they feel like equal partners, that it's supportive. But again, I, I'm always kind of about like having a partner, but also having some independence. And, mm -hmm. and that's like that too. And, and that, so to me, that's, that's a perfect romantic relationship. I think it's a modern, you know, it's a modern relationship where uh, people are looking at each other with open eyes. They don't have to be perfect, but yet they can bring a lot to each other's lives and make them better. And um, so I really like the the uh, romance in her bread shop series. Yeah, those are great recommendations. I'll definitely have to pick up the Melissa Bourbon books. I haven't done that yet. Um, I do. I would love them even if I wasn't a good friends with her. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. No, but I feel like disclosure. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah, I you tell have you, to... four o'clock in the afternoon is when my brain starts slowly turning off. So I could not <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> I totally, totally understand. But those sound great. I'll definitely have to pick those up. I love the Janet Ivanovich series. And I, I personally think they still fall into the realm of cozy, even if they are kind of 
towards the traditional mystery end of the cozy world, but they're great. They do have a great romance. And I also really enjoyed that Elizabeth Penny book. Um, I thought that the, the setting of that was so charming. Like, I feel like it's just kind of like a book lover's dream to go live in Cambridge or Oxford and work in a bookstore. You know, it's very much like wish fulfillment reading that series. Yeah, it was, it was a great escape. Mm-hmm. I got to see it before it even came out. They asked me if I would blurb it. So I oh, always awesome. love doing that. I feel like, like oh, I'm getting a sneak peek at something before everybody else. And um, and I remember the uh, quote that I gave him was that it had more twists than a pair of knickers. And they're like, we love that. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's so fun cute. Up with blurbs for somebody, you know, because we, we get to use our, our you know, pun. <laughs> exactly. Pun. You cozy mystery authors are very experienced with the puns. You do a great job <laughs> with them. We love it. it. It drives my kids crazy, but you know, they'll, they'll groan, you know, when I, when I use one, but then I find them doing it every once in a while, like, Oh, so it's okay for you to do. Right. 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 <laughs> then it's not cool, but I, I love puns. Like that's my favorite kind of humor, which is probably why I love cozy mysteries so much, but we have this game called Punderdome um, that we like to play with my family. And it's the whole game is about coming up with puns. So if you haven't heard of it, I definitely, Definitely recommend checking that out. Um, I'm terrible at it. No, well, kind of. It's like a a card game and it will give you like two different things that you have to kind of like put together into a pun and then everybody votes for who had the best pun. So it's really, really fun. I am so getting that and bringing that on our family vacation to Utah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Punderdome. It would be a great vacation game. That sounds fun. Yeah. So as we mentioned, Diane's latest novel, The Proof is in the Poison, is out now. So definitely be sure to pick up your copy if you haven't already. And before we sign off, Diane, do you want to tell our listeners how they can connect with you online? Sure. So they can find me at my website, dianekelly.com. And uh, my name is spelled D-I-A-N-E-K-E-L-L-Y. So dianekelly.com. I have an author Diane Kelly page on Facebook um, that I'm pretty active on. Love to hear from people, um, you know, messages on Facebook. Uh, You can contact me through my website. There's a contact link there. I'm on Instagram at Diane Kelly Books and also on Twitter at Diane Kelly Books. But it doesn't seem like a lot of readers are on Twitter. So probably Instagram, you know, is more where people might want to want to go. Yeah, I agree. It seems like our the the book community has definitely shifted more towards Instagram and even TikTok. Not so much um, for cozy readers with TikTok yet, but I think we'll we'll get there. But definitely Instagram seems to be the place to be. And I love all of the cozy author newsletters that you all have. You guys do such a great job with those and make them so much fun. It is. It's fun doing those, you know, I guess because it's a writing exercise, too. But it's, yeah. it's fun. You know, it's just so fun to connect with readers because we all know we would not get to do what we love if not for people buying our books. So we appreciate our readers you know, more than we could ever express, you know, so, so much. It's just and it's just it's so flattering when people like your work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of great books out there. And and just like this, being invited on this podcast, it's so it's so flattering and and it's just nice to know that my uh, work has connected with people and that they're enjoying it, you know, because 
I know when I read a good book and it's entertained me, what that means to me. And it's nice to know that mm-hmm. I've seen that to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I just have to say, uh, when I announced that we were going to be doing this show on the podcast, I had so many people on Instagram just reach out to me and be like, oh, I loved that book. That was one of my favorite books last year. So it's definitely one that's resonating with readers, which is really exciting. Wonderful. Oh, that makes me feel good. My heart's warm. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me, Diane. I had such a great time and it was just such an honor for me to have you on the show and take the time to talk with me. So thank you. Oh, thank, thank you right back. This was great. I appreciate it. Great questions. Oh, good. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We will be back with another episode of Get Cozy Podcast very soon. So stay tuned. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. Stay cozy.